0: This episode is brought to you by Michael's Business English, the online language school for busy English language learning professionals. Learn more at michaelsbusinessenglish.com. You are listening to the International Careers Show, a podcast dedicated to supporting international students, professionals, and business owners. We'll be diving into case studies of people just like you, as well as talking to thought leaders and experts to learn more about how global citizens can navigate and achieve success all over the world. I'm your host, Michael Rincon, a former six-figure analytic consultant turned ESL instructor and career coach and the founder of Michael's Business English. Building an international career is hard work, so if you're looking for help, you're in the right place. Welcome back to the International Career Show. I'm your host, Michael Rincon, and today I have Austin Belkak from Cultivated Culture here. So Austin is the Director of Partnerships at Microsoft and the founder of Cultivated Culture, a platform dedicated to teach people how to use unconventional strategies to land jobs they love in today's market, without connections, without traditional experience, and without applying online. Austin's strategies have been featured in Forbes, Business Insider, Inc., Fast Company, and more. His students have landed interviews and offers at Google, Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Twitter, Uber, Dolite, Accenture, ESPN, and more. Today, he's here to talk about how international job seekers can land their dream job. Welcome to the show, Austin.
1: Thanks for having me, Michael. I I really appreciate it. And uh, that is a very generous introduction, so no, no pressure on my side to live up to it. No, oh,
0: no, thank you. Just for everyone here listening, I was want to let you know I've been following Austin uh, way before I even started uh, posting on LinkedIn because uh, I started out as an English teacher. and I just happened to find Austin on LinkedIn. So when I say Austin's a real deal, he's definitely the real deal. So, you know, you're going to crush it like I know you do. So, so happy to have you here.
1: I'm pumped to be here, man. I'm excited.
0: Thank you. All right. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself in terms of background, education, experience, anything I didn't cover that you want to go into more detail?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so, I mean, you you really nailed the two big things right now, which is, you know, during the day, nine to five, I, I work at Microsoft on our our partnerships team in the advertising space. So I've been doing that for about five years now. And it's it's honestly been you know, my, my dream job. And, and that's really where a lot of the side stuff stem from. But uh, working at Microsoft has been an eye-opener and uh, they've been a fantastic company to be at, which is you know, why why I'm still sticking around. But then outside of that, I, I do run Cultivated Culture, as you mentioned, and that really stemmed from, uh, you know, my job search process. So, the the short story is essentially that I, I graduated from college with uh, no real direction. You know, I had, I had a biology degree. I had really poor grades. I had a 2.58 GPA, uh, and I, I had one job offer. I didn't apply to any jobs. I didn't interview at any jobs. I was kind of handed an internship by my roommate's dad, and I, I did the internship, and they offered me a job, and I Kind of accepted its sight on scene, and that ended up being a very, very bad situation you know not, not, not to anybody 's surprise, I think in in hindsight, but i had to I had to make a change, and I sort of set my sights on the technology space and um, you know then the, the, the arguably some of the best companies in the world with Google and Microsoft and Facebook and all these other places I was looking at. Uh, But obviously, there's a big gap between somebody who, you know, didn't really care, doesn't have good grades, you know, coming from a healthcare background, and then making the transition to Google or Microsoft or whatever. And so I really had to kind of get out there and, and figure out this job search process on my own, because the traditional approach just wasn't cutting it, you know, I went to the same people we always go to for advice, family, friends, career counselors, and and their advice was all the same, you know, tweak your resume, apply online, and you know, it's a numbers game, wait to hear back. And coming from a non-traditional background with, you know, no real experience in, in the digital space, that just wasn't cutting it. So I had to find another way to do it. And that's essentially that, that whole process, trial and error, failure, you know, experimentation leading to the the job search system that I that I teach today and and that allowed me to end up at Microsoft um you know that's really what led me to start the business because once i started at microsoft i had a bunch of people coming to me and asking me you know how i did it how i made that transition and so i wrote it all up in a blog post i published it and that was uh back in like march of 2016 so uh, about four and a half years ago now and the response was great so the, the rest is kind of history you know from there it's just been about growing the the community and the audience for cultivated culture and Getting that system and those strategies in the hands of of more and more job seekers who can then you know go go see the same results and benefit from them on their own.
0: No, that's awesome, and I love how you talked about like how how you did what we all do, which is we went to friends and family for advice. We did the traditional approach, which uh, let me guess you applied online, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, like surprise, uh, and uh, it's a numbers game. Like that's what we're all told: just keep applying, and you'll eventually get it and uh, you found out that that wasn't um, effective for you, um, not just for getting to big tech, but just in general. Um, So you talked a little bit more about how you discovered the unconventional strategies you, you talk about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's really off the back of what you just mentioned. And what happened was, you know, I went and talked to all those people. I got that advice and I said, great, you know, I went to college. I got my degree. I, I paid my uh, exorbitant sum of money to to get that degree, and and you know I did that because I was told that if you have a, a college degree, you're you're going to be able to get your foot in the door anywhere. You always have an opportunity, you know, so on and so on. And that quickly turned out to to not be the case. So immediately the first month I applied, you know, I was I was really ready to get out of my current situation. So I applied to about a hundred jobs in the first month. And, um, that, that just nothing happened. You know, I, I didn't really hear back from anybody. I got all the auto rejections. I had a few pity interviews from family friends who would tell me, you know, Hey, we really like you. You're a nice guy, but you don't really have any real experience. So we, we have to go with the candidates who do. And that was really frustrating. So I went back to everybody and I said, you know, after a month, I said, look guys, we, we, I did it. You know, I took your advice, I applied to 100 places and I didn't hear anything back. You know, what gives? What's the issue? And everybody across the board parroted the same thing that they had said the first time. Well, it's a numbers game. You got to keep applying, yada, yada. And there were sort of two red flags there. The first was that, that they sort of kind of went against everything that I was told in terms of, you know, you can do anything you put your mind to, but now all of a sudden the, the answer is, well, you sort of have to settle for whatever company decides to, to offer you an interview or, or kind of reads your resume and pulls it out of the, the stack. So I thought that was kind of weird and, and a little bit hypocritical versus what these people had been telling me, you know, in the classroom or, or at the dinner table or whatever. Uh, and then on top of that, all these people came from very different backgrounds. You know, my parents hadn't job searched in like, you know, 10, 15 years. My mom worked for um, this the same company. She went through a couple of different, you know, acquisitions and things like that, but same company for 20 plus years. My dad was an entrepreneur who hadn't job searched got in like 20, 25 years. And so, you know, they're telling me the same thing as my friends who are graduating with a finance degree and going right into finance, you know, super traditional career path there. Um, not to say that that's a bad thing by any means, just very different from what I was trying to do. And then career counselors who, you know, many of them, uh, they're doing amazing work and, and really trying to scale, you know, across such a large set of students who are who are really, really in need of help. Uh, but most of them, you know, they they graduated and maybe they worked for a little bit, maybe they didn't. But, you know, many of them haven't worked at Google or the places that I wanted to go to. And so I just thought it was strange that all these people from so many different walks of life and backgrounds and experience and all that had the same exact suggestion for applying. And that was a bit of a red flag to me. So I, I have a quote that I really like, um, which is from Twain, which says, when you find yourself on the side of the majority, it's it's time to pause and reflect. And I think that that's really you know what happened here. So around the same time, I, I had a, a conversation with somebody who are around the same time um, after, you know, the second month I, I, I went and applied to even more. So essentially what happened was, I guess, to take a step back, I went back to those people, they gave me the same advice and I said, okay, look, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just double down on this because that way I, I will know for certain, you know, if, if what you're telling me works, if I double down on this and I apply to 200 more places you know, then it should work. Sample size of 300 applications. You know, it, it something's got to break, or the system is entirely screwed up, and and you all have no idea what you're talking about. And this is just like a crazy, almost like Twilight Zone thing that we're all stuck in. And so, you know, as you can imagine, the latter happens. So I applied to 200 more places the next month. I doubled down, and, and same thing. You know, zero results. And so the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And and this was truly, you know, an an insane process that that I was going through. So around that time is when I had a conversation with an alumni from my school who worked at Uber, and uh, he basically said in so many words that I just was taking advice from the wrong people. And so, you know, Michael, you've probably seen me talk about this on, on LinkedIn, but I'm a big advocate for only taking advice from people who already have what you want. And uh, it was actually my my wife who who put it so eloquently to me, but I think that sums it up nicely because a lot of the people I was talking to, they were successful in their own right, but they hadn't uh, come from a, a non-traditional background and, and landed a job at Microsoft or Google or whatever it was. So I ended up Sitting down after that conversation and writing out my dream job criteria. So, you know, where I wanted to live, where I wanted to work, how much money I wanted to make, at what age I wanted all that stuff to happen. And then I went out and I used LinkedIn to go find people who checked all those boxes who already met those criteria. And I specifically looked for people who who had started working at these companies and came from a non-traditional background. So I was seeking out people who are working in big cities, working at you know major tech companies who'd come from a non-traditional background were under the age of like 25 because I was 21 at the time and I didn't wanna wait like 10 years for this stuff to happen. And talking to those people really kind of blew the doors off of the whole traditional process. Um, you know, The two biggest learnings were One, most of those people had found a referral. So whether or not they knew somebody at the company to begin with, they had built a relationship with somebody who could refer them into the role that they were looking for. And then two, a lot of them had found creative ways to go above and beyond just a resume and a cover letter to illustrate their value. And uh, those two things became kind of like the guiding principles of my of the next steps in my journey. And now they're sort of the two core pillars of my job search process and system that I teach and preach and, and uh, you know, share about on LinkedIn and, and elsewhere. Um, but that really changed the game for me. So I said, all right, I'm going to throw everything else out. I'm going to throw the traditional system out and I'm going to start focusing in on those two core principles and, and creating a system around those two things. And it took, it still took a while. It still took, you know, well over a year to kind of start seeing some traction. There was a lot of experimentation, a lot of failure, a lot of trial and error. Uh, but eventually I, I ended up with a system that started working pretty well and would effectively allow me to kind of pick and choose where I landed interviews, which is a little bit of a crazy statement um, for, for job seekers because that it's, you know, what you normally experience is totally the opposite. But I would say, all right, you know, here's a company I want to target. Let me go find people who can influence my ability to get hired. Let me go reach out to them, connect with them, get on their radar. Let me build a relationship with them so that I can get referred into this company. And and not to say that, you know, something I see a lot is people thinking that networking is super transactional. And and that's not really what this was about. You know, my my view is more so you know, hey, these people have achieved something that I want to achieve. You know, they they more or less check the boxes on my dream job criteria. Like, I want more people like that in my network. You know, the saying goes that, that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Um, you know, I'm not sure I'm gonna be spending vast quantities of my life with these people unless I start working with them. But for the most part, you know, if I surround myself with more people who have done the things that I want to do, I'm I'm gonna be better off for it. And that was the approach that I took to the outreach with these people. And, you know, I would build relationships with them, I would get referred in, and then I would leverage something that that I call a value validation project to, to kind of convey my experience or illustrate my experience, go above and beyond that resume. Um, and what ended up happening was, you know, interviews and, and offers from places places like Microsoft and Google and Twitter, um, but also, you know, even the, the ones that didn't work out from a, a job offer perspective, you know, I still ended up with dozens and dozens of contacts that are now in my network and, you know, I still still keep in touch with to this day simply because of of that approach. And so I, I never had to apply online. Um, I never had to worry about the ATS anymore. Uh, and I felt like I just had a lot more control over the whole process. And so that's that's sort of the 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 story of of how this whole thing came to be. And then now with cultivated culture, um, it's been even more fun because I've been able to take that you know singular experience that was that was my experience with the job search and the system as it worked for me, uh, given you know my parameters and variables and goals. And now I've been able to kind of expand that and test it out across. You know, hundreds of thousands of job seekers, uh, you know, who are looking in all sorts of industries and a, a, at all sorts of levels. And that, and that goes for international, you know, students and candidates as well. I, a huge portion of, of my audience has, um, you know, naturally come to be people who are looking to get jobs in the U.S. from outside the U.S. And obviously, visa sponsorship comes with that and, and a whole myriad of other things. Um, and that's obviously not something that I had experience with. So I've been able to, to, test this out and kind of see how it how it performs and what works and what doesn't from a lot of different lenses, which has been super fun.
0: Right, and I just wanna jump in real quick. So you had mentioned something that basically your, your system allows you to pick and choose where you have interviews on demand, which sounds insane to the average job seeker. But I wanna chime in and say like, um, I have gone through Austin's content. I've seen his case studies. In fact, the reason I asked Austin here uh, is that he had a case study recently of an international job seeker who, in 2020, uh, who needs sponsorship, even though we have the Trump administration who's like crazy racist and saying no, no international job seekers, no visa sponsorship. Uh, one of Austin's clients still landed a job. So I'm like, OK, this is the real deal. There's no doubt about it. And we, there's tons of other case studies and more and more. You go through the comments, you go through the posts. So like, I'm very happy uh, to have Austin. And I can affirm, like, for those of you who are like skeptical, who are like, is this real like I remember when I first saw the, the uh, Austin's, uh, you know, we call it a Valley Validation Project. Like, oh, that's only for big tech. Um, but no, no, this is not just for big tech. It's not just for Google. So I just want to, you know, for those of you who are like skeptical, I'll just let you know, no, this is real. Uh, it works.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. I will say that that person, uh, she, she got in. If I, if you're referring to who I think you're referring to, she got in before the visa ban. I think it's a little bit tougher now with, uh, the, the new order that's come through. And, and honestly, I mean, it's disgusting. Um, I, you know, we don't have to get into that too deeply, but, um, but it's, it's really what it comes down to. You know, if we, if we sort of play now, if, if we think about the rest of the, the episode or, or, you know, the strategies, uh, in a landscape where, you know, this is possible, really what it comes down to when you're international, when you're an international student is the fact that, uh, it's all about value. Like companies, they really just care about hiring the person who's going to bring the most value to the role. And in the scheme of things, you know, an H one B visa is a, a drop in the bucket for uh, many, many companies. And honestly, if you can, you know, prove out that your ROI is going to be so much so that you that that won't even matter in the long run. Um, you can sort of erase that from their minds. It's no longer an objection and. And a key is is choosing the right companies. You know, a, a, a new startup, an early stage startup is going to probably shy away from things a little bit because, you know, the amount of money it costs to sponsor somebody is is a big business expense for them uh, on top of paying a salary and, and all this other stuff. Whereas, you know, a company that's a little bit more um, established um, and is it already has people on staff and has gone through the process, you know, they're just going to be a little bit better about the whole thing. And they're going to see more of the value in a diverse workforce and a diverse set of ideas and a diverse group of people and a diverse culture. And really those, those are the places that you want to target. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to the value. And, and the bad news about the current process is that it's really, really hard to convey your value in a resume, in a cover letter. Uh, Those are just not good mediums and they're, they're not, simple mediums when, when it comes to, you know, reading what's on them and really saying, oh, I I understand exactly what this person brings to the table. Um, Whereas, you know, if if you go and build a relationship with somebody, you can tell your story face to face, uh, or, you know, you put together a value validation project, uh, those are just, you know, so much more straightforward when it comes to to saying, hey, you know, I know that these are your needs for this role, and, and here's why I'm the best person for it. And, you know, if you do that and you do it well, the sponsorship piece will will take care of itself.
0: Yeah, awesome. Thank you for sharing all that. Thank you for the reminder that it's about selection is everything. It's about choosing the right company that already has an established process for this as opposed to going to, like you said, a startup that doesn't have money. They probably don't know how to sponsor Visa. There's a lot more challenges with that. But before we go into the VVP, I know you talked about how it's hard to show your value on a resume. It's all about value. Let's go back and talk about um, the first step the first fundamental pillar of like how you're able to basically pick and choose where you want to interview for and it's it's like you talk about with the networking you have a very special process most people don't talk about in order to build your network can you talk a little bit more about that
1: yeah absolutely um so it, it it really comes down to adding value it is is honestly the the best way to kind of describe it in one sentence but if we think about the process from end to end, uh, the way that I structure things with the people that I work with and you know the, the way that I lay it out in the system is that we start by selecting 10 to 15 target companies. And that, that's a pretty small number, especially compared to what some other people recommend and, and what most job seekers are looking at in terms of applications. But the goal really is, you know, instead of going a hundred miles wide and one mile deep, kind of spraying applications everywhere and hoping something sticks, we're we're going one mile wide and a hundred miles deep. So we're aiming to learn everything that we possibly can about these companies from the standpoint of, you know, where they're at. Are they doing well? Are they doing, you know, not so well? And looking to right the ship, uh, what are their goals for the next six to twelve months? What initiatives are they driving to reach those goals? What challenges um, are are potentially in their way? Um, and keeping them from reaching those goals. What does their culture look like? What does their vision look like? And that requires a ton of research. You know, we're talking about investing in the ballpark of, you know, six to 10 hours per company and really going deep to understand that stuff. But that's really going to pay off, um, you know, as we go through the process. So, so the first part is just getting clear on those 10 to 15 companies. The good news is, you um, you don't have to settle, so you can put in ten to fifteen companies that you're really, really excited about. It's not like applying online where you know maybe you want to work at Tesla and you apply there and you get rejected and you're like, all right, well, Tesla's off my list. You know, now I have to settle for something else. Um, you know, we can really focus on companies that we're excited about. And then the second piece is is that relationship building and that outreach piece. So what we're going to do is for each of those companies, we're going to go try and find ten to fifteen people. And we're not just targeting anybody. Uh, we're, we're really targeting folks who can influence the final hiring decision. So typically, uh, you know, recruiters are fantastic at, at you know, what they do, and, and they're a much needed part of the process uh, in terms of the traditional process, but they're not really the best people to reach out to cold, just given the fact that they're so, so busy. Uh, but then on top of that, you know, they don't really have a say in the final hiring decision. They can get you in the door for an interview, but but that's you know, where their influence ends. So who we're really looking for is somebody who might be the hiring manager or somebody who might be your colleague you know, sitting at the desk next to you if you got hired. Because if you can build a relationship with them, one, you'll be able to get a ton of inside info. But then two, if they refer you in, that referral is just going to carry a lot more weight um, across the board, across the entire interview process, and then you know, into the hiring decision. So we try to find, you know, 10 to 15 of the people who might be the closest to that role that that you're targeting, you know, at, at the company you're excited about. So what that ends up being is in the ballpark of around 150 contacts. You know, a lot of people will, will email me and they'll be like, oh, Austin, I tried your outreach stuff and it doesn't work. And I'm like, well, how many people do you email? And they're like, I emailed 10 people. Like, okay, you know, how many applications have you submitted? And they're like, 200. And you're like, well, there's there's a little bit of a discrepancy there. But, uh, you know, this, there, there is no silver bullet strategy, right? There's nothing that's going to work 100% of the time or even 80% or 70% of the time. So, you know, what you can expect from from the outreach is in the ballpark of 10 to 15% for a response rate when you're getting started. And as you start to follow up and as you get better at this, you can improve that response rate to the ballpark of 25 to 35%. Uh, but that's, that's pretty darn good. And so 150 contacts typically puts us um, in a really, really good position because email 150 people, you know, let's say 30% of them get back to you. So we're looking at 50 folks there. And then you have conversations with each of them. Not everybody gets on the phone with you. So maybe you realistically have, you know, 30, 35 conversations um, either over the phone or over email or on LinkedIn or whatever it is. Uh, And then roughly, you know, 18, 15, 15 to 20 people, let's call it, will refer you in. Uh, that'll get you a first-round interview and then hopefully you end up with in the ballpark of you know Three to five final round interviews and that should put you in a really good position to get at least one offer Maybe two so that number based on the data that I've kept across the process, you know really puts you in a good position Statistically to end up in a really good place if you just kind of follow through on the steps so that takes us to the relationship building standpoint. Um, and and this is where things get a little bit more abstract. And I think this is the piece that most job seekers and just most professionals in general struggle with, which is, you know, how do you go about building a relationship? And we could spend, we could spend hours and hours talking about this. Um, but really, you know, what it comes down to is making it about the other person and, and adding value to the other person. And so, you know, there, there's, a, there's a rule of the internet um, for internet communities, which is called the, the 1% rule or, or the 99-1 rule. Um, it, it, they're, they're pretty interchangeable, but essentially what it states is that, you know, for any community, um, you know, online, 1% of the people are gonna be creating original content. You know, like yourself, Michael, you're posting on LinkedIn, you have this podcast. Um, so 1% of people are, are creating original content. 9% of people are engaging with that original content. So they're still active, they're still engaging, but they're not necessarily creating their own stuff. They're more uh, you know, they're more of a, a supporting force and they're leaving comments and they're liking posts and they're resharing things. And then 90% of people are what, you know, the internet affectionately calls lurkers, which are essentially just people who are in the background observing. They're not really engaging, they're not commenting, they're not creating their own content. So we can apply that same rule to our 150 contacts, where you know one percent of them are just going to be like the golden geese. They're going to be uh, posting online, and they're going to have uh, their own you know digital presence and the personal website and a blog and all this. So many avenues to connect. Um, the other nine are, percent are active in some way, and, and that opens up some doors for us. Uh, and then ninety percent are just not going to have too much out there. So essentially, what we want to do when we're building relationships is show up with people in in the way that is easiest for them to engage with us. So you know, for that one percent, there's so many angles we can take. You know, if somebody's active on LinkedIn and they're posting content you know, showing up and leaving comments on their posts, you know, I, I, every, every time I, I scroll through my comment feed, Michael, I, I see your profile picture and it stands out to me just because of, you know, the, the way that it is, I, I know that's you, I know that's your face and I've just come to recognize like, oh, there's Michael. And so, you know, when you ask me to be on a podcast or if you'd asked me for advice or whatever, I'm just much more inclined to do it simply because you've been you know, selflessly engaging with my content, resharing my stuff, supporting my stuff. And that's one of the best ways to engage with folks who are in that kind of 1% of, of content creators. Uh, for the 9%, similar principles still work. Um, you know, if they're engaging on LinkedIn or whatever, liking their comments, leaving a comment on their comment, whatever it is. Um, that tends to play really well too. There's just a lot of different ways to get engaged with people who are putting themselves out there online, but the vast majority of folks that you're going to reach out to are those lurkers. They're, they're not super engaged. They're not putting themselves out there. And really that's just going to come down to a cold email. So when we're cold emailing, you know, the best advice I have is to find some way to make it about somebody else. So, or about the, the person you're emailing rather is a better way to put it. But a lot of people, too many people make the mistake of using what I call a a me mindset. And that's essentially reaching out and saying, you know, hey, Austin, you work at Microsoft and there's a job opening. You know, can you pass my resume along or can you review my resume or can you give me advice? And that's just such a big ask right off the bat. And I don't blame people who take that route because, you know, we're all told that we need to network. But nobody really tells us how to network, how to do it the right way. And networking is really uncomfortable for a lot of us. It's a big step outside of our our comfort zone. And so when we do something that's uncertain, that's unfamiliar, that's uncomfortable, we kind of fall back onto what, what makes the most sense and what's most direct. And unfortunately that approach just doesn't work too well when it comes to building relationships. So instead of sending me that email, you know what I might do is is look through the person's LinkedIn profile or run a Google search in their name or whatever it is, and just see what I can see what comes up, see what angle I can take to make it about them. So, you know, for me, I came from that non traditional background, so maybe um, that's the angle you take. You know, hey Austin, I I uh, was looking for people who made the jump into tech from a non traditional background. Your uh, your transition from healthcare into Microsoft was really impressive. You know, I'd love to learn more about that. That's a that's a much more effective email. Um, If you're if you're an international student, you're looking to get get in the door somewhere. That's a great angle too. you know, go find some other international folks uh, who, you know, maybe on their LinkedIn, they were working in, let's say, Paris, France, but now they're in New York, or maybe they were in uh, Brussels and now they're in LA or, or whatever it is maybe they were in Seoul and now they're in uh, Seattle or, or whatever it is go find those people and say you know hey I was looking for people who made the jump from you know the place where you're at now or where you come from to the, the, Your target company, you know your experience really stood out to me That's a great angle to take and that's a great way to open up the conversation because you're making it about them You're basically saying hey, I, I'm recognizing you for this this thing that you did. It's really impressive You know, I want to learn from you. I, I, I look up to you and people really respond well to that. So those that's kind of a, a quick quick rundown of the, the ways to engage, um, but the, the most important thing is just finding a way to make the outreach about the other person. The whole goal is just to get them on the phone uh, or you know, get them talking to you via email or whatever it is so that you can build the relationship from there.
0: Okay, now thank you so much for sharing all that and explaining why code email over other options, especially when you realize like only 10% are even creating content on LinkedIn and 90% are not even active. So that's mm-hmm. a really important thing to keep in mind. And I'll make sure, um, there's definitely a few resources that come to mind that you put on Call Culture. So I'll make sure those are in the show notes, like a templates and stuff to use that people can check out. But let's talk about the the actually second pillar you talk about, which is the value validation project. This is how this separates you from a resume, a cover letter. You talk a bit more about what the VVP, sorry, the, the VVP, is vvp short for value validation project and how this works how it's effective
1: yeah for sure uh and you know this is one of my favorite uh aspects of the job search because it's it's sort of this i think this is as close to a silver bullet as you can get um at least from from what i've seen in the data that i've kept but so a value validation project is is really just some sort of deliverable that you put together that shows you understand why the company is hiring for this role what their goals are what challenges they're facing and uses your background and your problem solving skills and your knowledge as evidence to kind of support why you're the best person for the role so the the big problem with the the way that the process is structured so we talk about you know resumes and cover letters they're all just focused on you and they're focused on your past so, you know, if you're coming from a non-traditional background, you're sort of in trouble because there's no space for you to kind of explain that. And then on top of that, you know, sales 101 is is the thing they teach you on the first day is if you want to win, if you want to sell through, you need to make your pitch about the other person. And a resume and a cover letter just don't allow you to do that. So, that is a bummer, but it also opens up an opportunity for us given that so many people, you know, the vast majority of job seekers are still just relying on a resume and a cover letter. If we go one step above and beyond with a VVP it really really sets us apart. So to give an example of what this looks like, I mean essentially what it comes down to is one doing a ton of research. So I talked about, you know, that that 6 to 10 plus hours of research on a company, this that that really plays in here. But then on top of that, the conversations you have, you know, if you end up talking to 5, 10 people at a company, you're really going to learn a lot in terms of, you know, a deeper cut of what their team is facing, what challenges they have, you know, what their goals are, et cetera. This is where you kind of consolidate all that info and say, okay, you know, here's an opportunity or here is an issue or here's a gap or here's an initiative, you know, let me provide some ideas or solutions or suggestions or whatever that is. And then let me make it look really nice. So to give an example, uh, you know, I, I was working with a, a, student who, uh, she was coming out of the university of Washington and she wanted to work at Microsoft. And so we started looking at Microsoft's products. She was going for a, like a rotational program. And, and that's pretty common with, uh, Microsoft's program that hires college students. They put you in a, a rotation that lets you try out a couple teams, couple products. Um, and so that gave us some freedom. So we said, okay, you know, what Microsoft product could use the most marketing magic. And this was, pre-COVID, this was uh, in, in October of last year, 2019. And we saw that Microsoft Teams just really could use the most magic. So she went out and she did a ton of research. She read all about Microsoft Teams as well as, as its competitors. You know, at the, at the time Slack was you know the lion in the market. And so she read up on Slack, she read through user reviews in, in the app store of Slack and Microsoft Teams. She went out and she surveyed Microsoft Teams users and Slack users. And she just collected all of this information on both of them, both of the platforms. Uh, And then she put together this deck. And essentially, the way the deck went was it it opened up with a cover slide um, that had a bit of a catchy title. So she said, you know, three opportunities for Microsoft Teams to capture market share. And that's at the end of the day what Microsoft Teams cares about and what a marketer would be doing. So that's a great lead in. Uh, and then we found this really interesting article. I say we she, she found this really interesting article uh, that was written by The Verge that basically laid things out for us. Um, you know, one line in that article said uh, Slack's biggest challenge is getting people to pay for its service, and Microsoft Teams' biggest challenge is getting people to love its service. So we kind of latched onto that, you know, getting people to love Microsoft Teams theme, and we baked that into the rest of the deck. And so she said, you know, okay, how do we how do we get more people to love its service? Well, here are three ideas. And so, in her research, she found that people, you know, users were confused as to when they should use Microsoft Teams versus, let's say, like an Outlook. You know, why would I send an IM versus an email, or you know, why would I create a note in Microsoft Teams versus using OneNote or Google Docs or whatever it is. And so she came up with a solution to have like an inter- interactive um, product map where. If somebody si- signs up for Office for the first time, uh, or maybe we, we resurface it uh, anytime there's a new update or a new product, um, but either way, getting a, a, a roadmap or, or just a, a blueprint in front of customers that show them, hey, here are all the tools at your disposal that you get with your Office subscription. Um, and, and if you hover over each one, we'll tell you exactly what they're used for and when you should use them and why you should use them and, and you know what they're best at doing. Um, So that was one idea. The second idea, which is, I think my favorite, but we said, all right, Microsoft has, you know, 155 million plus office users. And and this was at the time, you know, the, the old adage in business is it's five times more expensive to acquire a new customer than it is to retain an old one. So uh, you know, we already have 155 million people using office, none of them are really using teams simply because they don't really know about it and they may be confused as the one to use it. So what if we put it in front of them as they're using other products? So for me, one of the most frustrating things is when I make a, a presentation or a PowerPoint and it's too large to send via email, like the file size is just too large. So you know, what if PowerPoint was smart enough to surface a pop-up that says, you know, Hey, this 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 presentation is too large to send over email why don't you click this link to send it through Teams? And then you know, maybe I send that presentation to you, Michael, over Teams, and then you type back in Teams, hey, this is great, I'll take a look at it. And then maybe you say, hey, I noticed a typo on slide 12, and I say, oh, you know, let me go fix that. Well, now all of a sudden, you and I are having a conversation in Teams, like we're using Teams the way it's meant to be used, but we facilitated that in a way that was beneficial for you know, me originally to send my deck. So I'm not shoving the product down somebody's throat, but instead, I'm saying, hey, when, it, when would it be natural for this person to use this product? Uh, well, how about when they're sending a deck that's too large? So that was the second thing. Um, and then the third thing was just there were so many reviews in the App Store about how bad the mobile app was um, for, for Teams. And so we combed through a bunch of those, we, and she, she identified. I keep saying we. She, she did all this work. I'm, I'm taking way too much credit. Um, but she she uh, combed through all the reviews, and she basically found Uh, all of these specific issues. So she surfaced those up and she came up with some suggestions for how we could kind of monitor um, or how Microsoft could monitor those issues, um, how they could fix them and how they could prevent uh, any more issues from cropping up moving forward. And then at the very end, she had a slide that, that kind of showed a little bit more about herself and links to her resume and her LinkedIn, et cetera. And that's what she led with, you know, she had a good resume, she had a good cover letter, but she went and found people on the recruiting team for this marketing program. Uh, and she just started sending emails to them. And I know I mentioned, you know, t- to not to not try to connect with recruiters. Um, in this case, you know, there there isn't really a sole hiring manager for that program, so I'll just kind of caveat with that. But she just started sending this deck and said she was interested in the program. And she ended up being referred in by one of the recruiters. She ended up, you know, winning the role, and, and um, I think she's starting at the end of this month. But That's just a great example of, you know, when everybody else is relying on a resume, especially for students where the playing field is so flat, you know, everybody's kind of competing on their degree and their GPA and things like that, maybe internships. Uh, She went way above and beyond to basically jump in and say, hey, like I got I rolled up my sleeves. I got hands on with your product and I came up with some real tangible ways that you can improve it. And that's exactly what they would be that's what she would be doing if she got hired. so you know the the choice was you know fairly obvious for them, I would imagine, and that's just an example of what a value validation project can do um, to supercharge your job search.
0: No, that's awesome and the, the big thing that stood out to me, believe it or not, wasn't just the the VVP idea, which was the different projects, but the the amount of research that you did, uh, meaning like I, I've never done just in full transparency. I've never done like anything that level. In my job search, but to give you an example, just, just doing the research, when I was interviewing for teaching jobs in China, um, when I had the interview with the director, um, I told him that I had talked to other teachers and I could see the look on his face of like happiness and relief of like, I can't believe someone actually did that. Like, and you know, <laughs> he told me like I'm I'm really happy that you actually reached out to the teachers before this interview. Sure enough, I got the offer, even though uh, this job is a teaching job at a university, you need two years of work experience. Um, I didn't have teaching experience. I had volunteer experience, but not the same thing. I didn't have the same thing. But you can see just how just the deep research that's involved um, itself is going to help you, um, one. And two, it's, uh, sh- sh- well, let me go back. One, it helps you, shows the employer that you're doing more than what your competitors are doing, what the other job seekers are doing. And two, like the, the fact that you came up with different hypotheses, different project ideas. So one idea was uh, maybe doing a roadmap that shows, here are the things we can do it. Another one was, um, actually do it like a product map. The other one was um, actually how can we use uh, Team Microsoft Teams organically? How can we improve the product that way? And here's a suggestion, which that's going to go a hell of a lot better in an interview, and as, as well as for the actual on, your, on the job. It shows you can actually do the job like, you, like you've talked about. So I just want to point that out for those of you who might have not missed those nuances. The research is really deep, the deep, deep research is, it may not be fun, but it pays off because no one's doing that. And two, um, the actual product that you deliver, the VVP, what it does is that it shows people that you could actually do the job because like you said, it actually, um, if this, if your client was hired, this person is what she'd be doing. And so like, you know, would you hire someone with a resume that, uh, that goes, okay, would you hire someone who actually can do the job? Like no brainer
1: exactly and that that's really what it comes down to i mean going back to what we mentioned before with companies just caring about the roi you know if if who who are you going to hire like exactly like you said michael the person who comes in and and kind of does the job and, or the person who comes in and says hey you know, this bullet on my resume said that I, I did this project that's like kind of similar and, and it was at this company that's sort of in the same industry and it was like two years ago. I mean, the the choice is a no brainer and even more so when nobody else is doing it. You know, the a lot of the Hiring managers and recruiters that I talk to, um, when we talk about VVPs, they tell me, you know, nobody is doing this. Uh, maybe one person has come to them with with that project, and whether or not they hired the person, you know, again, to set expectations, nothing has a hundred percent success rate in the job search, and and usually in life. Um, but even if that person wasn't hired, time and again, as hiring managers say you know, we love that person and we, we are always looking to bring them back in some capacity because at the end of the day, there could be somebody who's just like, just so insanely well qualified for the role that even with a VVP, you're not going to beat them out. And that's just life. That's just the nature of what happens. Um, but you, I have yet to find a job seeker who's left, you know, a bad taste in somebody's mouth because they went above and beyond to showcase that they could do the job.
0: All right. So a uh, quick question. Has there ever been a time, so we talked about like before where the reason someone may not get an offer because of VVP is because someone's as much more qualified. Are there any other uh, reasons or challenges someone might have when trying to do their own VVP? Any, any things that they should think about? Any reasons why any troubleshooting things I guess to think about?
1: Yeah. So the, the two biggest objections I get or, or kind of questions I get with the VVP are uh, one you know, I'm a student, so how could I possibly have all of this information? And two, you know, what if the company steals my ideas and, and runs away with them? Um, both very valid questions. So the first one is, uh, you know, really a, sort of a, a matter of self-worth. And there's always, always something that that can be done. But the question is, or, or really the the kicker is that you have to put in the time to go figure it out. And so to your point, Michael, the research really is where where the magic happens. And the research is not uh, necessarily something that that you can kind of put in a nice little box. You know, there's definitely things that best practices, things that you should be doing, um, you know, listening to interviews with executives at the company, you know, surveying customers if you can, uh, so on and so forth. But it's really about getting creative. You know, every company has some issue, some initiative, some thing. Uh, that it could be doing better and so there's always a way to get in the door and you know just a couple of examples of VVPs from students you know i just gave the one with teams another one was from a a data analyst who was graduating from a boot camp and uh he did this uh sentiment analysis using twitter so he went and found publicly available data. And, and one of the reasons I like this example is because a lot of people in uh, engineering or analytics or whatever, they say, well, the company's analytics are behind closed doors. So there's no way that I could get in there and use them. And so I can't do a VvP then. Well, there's a lot of publicly available data too, if you know where to look. So one of those places is Twitter you know Twitter has an API um, there's a lot of tools out there that will help you scrape their data and do natural language processing and all this other stuff that you know is, is relevant in that field so anyways this person went and they they scraped all these tweets about four major airlines and they ran some natural language processing and they basically used that to determine whether the tweet had a positive sentiment a neutral sentiment or a negative sentiment and then they they basically put this whole thing together they pumped a bunch of data through the model they did it for four airlines and they they were able to get this result of you know here's what the public thinks about your brand you know no shock that 60% of the tweets about all four airlines were negative but now you know th- that's one a great illustration of that person's skills but then they also have a template so you know if that person wanted to work in the travel industry they could go run that same analysis for hotels or they could run it on fang companies in technology or they could run it on you know environmental companies in the nonprofit space or Whatever it is, you know, that's something that's a little bit more templatized and scalable now, so they can run with that. Um, another person I, I, I uh, saw, she was a, a UX designer, and she basically took one of her favorite apps, or one of her favorite music streaming apps, and she tore it apart, and she kind of redesigned it from the ground up to be more user-friendly. And uh, that was just a, a, a really awesome thing to see. And she wrote a whole blog post about it, which kind of allowed you to get into her head and her thought process. And so, you know, just because you're a student um, doesn't mean that you don't have anything to offer. There's always something to be offered out there. It's just about, you know, how 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 deep are you willing to go? How creative are you willing to get? How badly do you want the job is, is really what it comes down to. So that's, that's sort of my first answer to the first question. For the second question, um, which is very legitimate, you know, what if what if I put in all this time and the company steals my answers and they run away with them? Um, You know, that's totally a legitimate concern. And so the first thing I'll say is that you shouldn't be putting something together that is like so robust that, you know, it, it would, it would be devastating if the company did this. And also, you know, you shouldn't really be spending, more than outside of the research which you should be doing for your target companies no matter what you know you shouldn't be spending 40 hours on your VVP or even you know 20 hours or whatever it is it should be you know it's going to take some extra time for sure um but you know the way to think about it is is like this um uh, you know first if a company does take your ideas and run with them it's a great great litmus test because I'm not sure I want to work for a place like that and I know it's hard as a job seeker if somebody is you know has you in the interview stage and you're getting excited about it uh, it's hard to kind of take that approach but you're basically walking into a marriage with whoever you decide to work with you're spending 40 plus hours a week there you know they're basically facilitating the rest of your life uh, until you start you know creating other streams of income for yourself uh, a lot rides on this, and so if you end up with a manager who steals your ideas and takes credit for them or relies on you know candidates' ideas to drive their business forward, um, not sure that that's going to be the best situation for you in in many regards. So I think that's a really good test to see what the ty- what type of team you're walking into um, because at the end of the day, what I've found in my experience is that really good managers, really good teams, they want the person who came up with the idea not just the idea itself. It's sort of like, you know, teach a man to fish, you feed him for life, you know, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Like that person could be feeding themselves for a day, but the smart people say, hey, if I hire this person, I feed myself for today and and for the next, you know, several years to come. So that tends to play out um, pretty accurately. So that's the first thing I'll say. The second thing I'll say is that, you know, the, the other sort of sub question that comes in here is, you know, well, I don't want to do work I'm not paid for. And I also totally understand that. But the way I would view this is that you're sort of pitching for four dollars you know the average salary increase these days when you switch roles is pretty significant you know b- between ten to twenty percent and so you know if you're sitting at a, a let's say a fifty thousand dollar a year salary and you're looking for a twenty percent raise um, putting together that VVP could net you an extra ten grand a year now if, if you're gonna tell me that an extra five to 10 to 15 hours of time for a dream role, that's gonna pay you an extra $10,000. If, if you think that that's not worth it, uh, I'd probably question how badly you wanted the job in the first place, but the dollars are there. And not only the dollars, if you end up at an amazing company, you know so many things come with that growth potential, uh, skills, network and connections, uh, you know, the trajectory in the company, like so many things come out of having a great job, like happiness is is also a big one. And so you stand to gain so much that the extra five, 10, 15 hours that you're putting into a BVP, um, in my opinion, that's a big, big uh, reward for a pretty low risk. You know, worst case scenario, you lose five to 10 to 15 hours and they run away with your ideas. But you also have the knowledge that if you went onto that team, you know, your life could have been pretty miserable, so you're probably dodging a bullet there as well.
0: No, that's awesome. I think the biggest takeaway by far um, to the objections was one, you know, get creative, right? Like if you feel like you don't have anything, you don't have any ideas, like there are tons of ways to get creative and like all the the VVP examples you've given so far, uh, I'll tell you right now, I never would have thought of any of this. I'm a data analyst uh, in my background before I became a teacher. And I never would have thought of doing that sentiment analysis. And so what this tells me is that when you do the research, you will come up with ideas naturally, I think. Um, and two, the second thing was the importance of like, the reason, the second objection of like, someone might steal my idea, like, uh, you know, that that definitely happens for sure. I've seen that um, in my background in financial services, a lot of, and especially um, some of the work I do because we have to do like case study interviews and stuff. They might actually steal that. So I definitely appreciate the concerns. Uh, but I think like you said it best, like uh, it's, how, much, how many hours are you spending for this? Five to 20 hours at most. It's not a big investment. And uh, then the way I see it is that you're building experience. So like any any sort of VVP you do, you can add it to your resume. You can add it to your toolbox. Say, hey, yeah, I did something similar to this. If you have an interview, you can show it up. And like you said, with the data analyst, who did the sentiment analysis. Now he has a template. He can go anytime he wants. You <laughs> can take that template and go do it to someone else. He's like, I don't want to work for airlines. I want to work for, you know, gaming companies, guess what? Hey, Epic, guess what people think about your Epic store? You mm-hmm. want to work in financial services? Well, Fargo, guess what people think of your, uh, uh, you know, online, online making thing. Like there's so many, you know, um, multiple uses. So I think it's worth the 515 hours, uh, even if someone quote unquote steals your project and doesn't call you back. All right, so Austin, uh, what final thoughts do you have to help motivate our listeners to start using these strategies or to get better at using them if they're starting them now and struggling?
1: For sure. I think the, the biggest one that I can recommend off the bat is to just start sending emails uh, and, and connecting with people, engaging with them on LinkedIn even. Uh, the biggest thing that you can do for yourself is just putting yourself out there and realizing that anytime you can, if you get confident in, in the ability to send an email or to connect with somebody that you haven't met with before, that's Going to blow open the doors on the possibilities for your career and and your life. And so, you know, anything you want to do at that point, you want a promotion, you know, cold email the person who can make it happen. You want to start a podcast, you know, cold email the guests that you're going to have on. You want to start a business, we'll cold email some prospects and get them in the door. And once you get comfortable with that, the opportunities really, really open up and you're no longer forced into the processes and the traditional junk that everybody else is doing. So you're no longer limited. Uh, So the best advice I have, you know, just go pick one company. Like what's the one company that you really, really want to work for? And then go use LinkedIn to find a couple of people who work at that company. Maybe they have the same job title that you're targeting. Um, Maybe they match your background. So if you're an international student, you know, maybe they they are uh, somebody who came from uh, outside of the US or whatever country that they're currently in, maybe you send them an email and just say, you know, make it about them. Hey, I saw that you landed this job at this amazing company and you did it, you know, despite coming from a different country or, you know, whatever it is, you know, I really love to learn more about your experience. It's really impressive. And just send that to five people. Five send it to 10 people. See what happens. Um the reason I I, I changed it there. If you send it to 10, you should have a good chance of getting at least one reply. Um, if you send it to five, not not as high of a chance. But Either way, just start putting yourself out there, and and that is really where the magic starts to happen. You know, everything else kind of follows once you're you're willing to kind of take that leap.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, definitely. I just want to reiterate the numbers game portion of the email stuff. Like, um, a lot of people, like you said, they give set maybe a few emails, but they'd rather apply online. Just want to hammer in the part the power of numbers when it comes to code outreach, uh, when it comes to building your network. It's it's uh, if it, you have to you can't just do a few. You have to do more. Um, the only okay, I thought was that actually. Um, all right, awesome. Thank you so much uh, for being a guest on the show. How can people get in touch with you, learn more, work with you in the future?
1: Definitely, the the two biggest places are are the website and, and LinkedIn. So. On the site, it's cultivatedculture.com right there on the homepage. If you scroll down a little bit, we have a bunch of free tools. We have a resume builder, resume scanner. We have an email finder, all this other good stuff. So you can find those right on the homepage of the site. And then the blog has has a bunch of advice as well. And then, uh, you know, Michael, you and I are both on LinkedIn all the time. So you can connect with both of us there. And I post pretty much daily. Um, I try to be uh, as, as active as I can in the comments and with the messages that I get. And I'm always accepting you know people's requests and stuff like that so linkedin is a great place to, to connect and learn more um and i would say that those are yeah the two best places
0: All right thank you so much Austin. we'll make sure everything that you mentioned is in the show notes
1: perfect thanks for having me michael i appreciate it
0: thanks for listening to the international career show For all the show notes and resources listed for this episode, head over to michaelsbusinessenglish.com forward slash podcast. If you like this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you liked so we can continue improving the show. If you'd like to interact with me and other fans of the show, join our private community. Check the show notes for details on how to get in. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is your host, Michael Rincon, signing off.